This AIM Hometown Innovations podcast is sponsored by Ice Miller. With more than 100 years of experience as bond counsel, there are few, if any, issues in the area of municipal finance that Ice Miller has not seen and with which we have not dealt. Our experienced team of bond lawyers has been involved in numerous municipal financings utilizing many different strategies. Regardless of the size of the borrowing or the issuer, we bring our vast knowledge, experience, and first-rate client service to the table to assist in every financing. We have more lawyers specifically focused on public finance than any other firm in Indiana. This large market share and depth of lawyers, paralegals, and staff mean we can serve our clients in an efficient and effective manner. Welcome to AIM Hometown Innovations Podcast. This podcast is designed to offer insights, best practices, and innovative solutions for the challenges facing Hoosier cities and towns. Each edition will offer ideas and inspiration while showcasing the talent and commitment of Indiana's local leaders. Enjoy the program. Welcome to AIM's Hometown Innovations Podcast. I'm Matt Greller with AIM. Uh, pleased to be joined today by four of the most outstanding clerk treasurers in the state of Indiana. Karen McQueen from Brazil, uh, Carrie Mugford from North Manchester, Madeline Say Bartle uh, from the very, very auspicious and well-known Turtletown USA, Cherubusco, Indiana. Uh, and of course, Jane Jordan from uh, Burns Harbor up in the northern part of the state. Thank you all for joining me. Uh, today and look forward to the conversation. Thanks for having us. Thank you, you know, for having us, Matt. Uh, we'll, we'll start off, I think, just talking globally. Um, you know, clerk treasurers, I think everybody can pretty much decipher from the name. You're in charge of the numbers. You're in charge of receipts and payables and utilities in, in most cases. But what a lot of folks, I think, don't understand, particularly in the communities that you all come from, is that you're often in charge of just about everything, making sure that the operations of the town run on a daily basis. Uh, a lot of times in Indiana, for those people that don't know, uh, we don't have town managers in a lot of places. That's uh, not a common uh, system of government in, here in the Hoosier State. Uh, so maybe talk a little bit about your day-to-day -day role within the community, uh, including clerk treasurer, but also what that really means uh, and, and why you all are so successful in the job uh, Madeline, you want to start off for us? Sure, I'll start off. Um, so I technically have three official job titles, office manager, clerk treasurer, and grant administrator. But I also serve as Chair Bosco's community development director, um, HR manager, events coordinator. Um, I basically do it all. Um, complaint department, that's for sure. Uh, but I basically do it all. And um, I think it's because if I... I guess I came into this position having a certain goal in mind. I grew up in Cherubusco. I left for about seven years, was living in India, and then came back after I had kids. So I wanted my kids to have a great place to live. So that meant me getting involved with my community. So I'm involved with basically every organizational or organization here in Cherubusco. I'm on most of their boards, actually. Um, and I thought that that was really strategic in getting the goals that the town wanted to get done, um, coordinated with what all these organizations wanted to get done because I, we're gonna need help doing them. So getting the support of the Chamber of Commerce and Rotary and 
uh, Main Street organizations was all really um, necessary to get those goals done. Um, my day-to-day -day is very hectic. Um, I don't think I'm very organized, but uh, I've definitely learned a lot of organizational skills since becoming clerk treasurer in 2012. Um, I also have a fantastic staff. Um, well, I have one staff, I have one deputy, she's amazing. Um, and so that's allowed me to kind of get, be able to get out of the office and go to these meetings and go to these events and um, get the trainings that I need in order to help make Busco more successful. When Madeline says that she does all these different functions like you all do, when you put your name on the ballot, you're not running for the office of grant administrator or the office manager position. It, it, um, it's something that you often do on your own and take on your own. And then if you're lucky, you get your council to assign some extra salary or resources to those various functions. Maybe what's, uh, what's your situation and, and how do you see the office on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I'm a town, but we have 6,000 residents. And so I'm lucky enough to have a town manager who takes care of a lot of the functions that I consider to be from our town outward. And so he deals with the county and different functions that way. I also have a staff of three. I have a deputy that works for me that does HR and uh, the payables. And then I have two that do the utilities. So I'm we're a bigger town, but I'm lucky enough to have the staff where I can concentrate on more of the global things, the budget, um, the needs of the council, their questions, and do the AFR, um, the annual financial report. And in our council meeting last night, I was talking about the budget and one of the council members said, do you ever stop working on the budget? And I said, no, it's, it's a year round process. So I'm, I'm very fortunate to have those around me that are doing a lot of the different functions. Unlike Madeline, who has to do the majority of it. Um, but my day-to-day -day is a lot of emailing and um, those big picture things, making sure the council has the meetings ready, um, making sure that we're on board with our schedules the way they need to. So that's kind of what my day is. Jane, how about you and uh, Burns Harbor? What's your day-to-day uh, -day life look like as clerk treasurer? Um, I, when I came into office, um, I was the only one. So I did a lot of just about everything. Um, I found over the years, I've been there 18 years now. I found over the years, um, my day-to-day -day changes depending on the council I have. You know, uh, sometimes you have council members who are more hands-on and want to do a lot of um, the things other than just attending meetings. And other times you have some council members who are um, uh, not as comfortable doing those things. So they, they um, step back and, and do more of the decision-making and passing motions and ordinances and laws and th those types of things and, and let um, me step up and do some of more of um, the decision-making when it comes to our decision-making is probably not the right word, but spend more time doing the budget, the HR stuff, the payroll things, all of those things. Recently, thankfully, prior to COVID, I did finally um, get a deputy clerk. So I do have an awesome deputy clerk as well who helps me out 
And with COVID, um, we've been um, social distancing and, and that has helped quite a bit that there's always someone in the office, but we're usually not in the office together to try and make sure both of us stay healthy. So my day-to-day -day is like a mix of carries and probably very similar to Madeline's um, is you basically handle just about anything that comes your way, whether it be complaints or, or um, HR issues or um, budget concerns um, and, and paying attention to detail. I think with our positions, we have to make sure that the things that happen in a meeting um, are then the next day followed through and, and those things are taken care of the, that um, everything gets looked at with a, with, um, a fine tooth comb and taken care of. Circle back to Karen McQueen now. Karen, um, maybe just talk a little bit about your day-to-day -day function in Brazil and, and what you see your role as in the Office of Crook Treasurer. Yeah, so I'm a little bit lucky here at the city of Brazil as well. Um, and I say lucky because I don't have to wear all the different hats that, say, Madeline was discussing um, earlier that she's wearing. Um, we do have around 120 employees, at, at, you know, in the summertime here. So we, we deal with a lot of the employees um, here in the office, and it's truly just financial here. Um, we have a mayor. We have an HR director. We have a grant administrator. We have all these different positions that handle um, specific things. We have a planning and zoning director here. So this office truly does do just the budgets, the payroll, and accounts payable. Um, put, you know, all, all of the duties that follow with that office. So we kind of consider ourselves uh, extreme specialists in those categories of items. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of what we do here. No, we can't have a podcast these days without talking at least a little bit about COVID. I'm not asking you all to, to rehash, you know, how long you closed city or town hall or, or what, you know, the case may have been there. Maybe focus a little bit more, though, on how do you see COVID having changed your operations going forward? I think every organization has changed to some degree. Um, you know, how does that apply to your individual communities and, and what's what do you think is going to be the result going forward? I'll throw it open to anybody that would like to jump in on that. Well, I'll answer first for the city of Brazil. We actually did not have a huge epidemic or um, uh, a huge overload of individuals catching the virus. So we actually closed City Hall down for only about three weeks, um, and then we were back to work. And then we we actually did um, a lot of um, by appointment only um, individuals from the community could come in, but we did appointment only, and we we tried to social distance as much as possible. And then and then from there we did only that for probably two to three months, and then we opened up to the public um, with mask wearing. And now we're back to um, you know if it you're, it makes you feel comfortable, you can wear a mask into city hall, and if not, um, we actually are very laxed here, um, and we've had no issues. We've had again limited even employees that have actually caught the virus um, ourselves. So it's been, um, as far as changes here, we've not had a lot of changes um, due to all of that. So we're, we're pretty much back to normal. Matt, here in Burns Harbor, we are seeing how well um, our residents 
are liking the fact that we're now streaming our meetings. That came out of the COVID that the governor allowed us to attend meetings virtually and stream them. So we have started streaming our meetings and we plan to continue in the future. And with the new laws for virtual meetings, some of our council members are taking advantage of that, which is great because with small towns, you know, we all have a lot of demands on our time. And sometimes you just want to attend and be part of the process, but um, other things conflict. And so the fact that we're going to move forward and continue to do virtual meetings or allow our council members to attend based on state law, um, I think we're going to, for, that's a good thing that came out of COVID for us. I've got to agree with Jane. Um, we also started streaming our council meetings and um, while we haven't had like a lot of public attending them, we have had some. Um, we've actually, our, the newspaper reporters are probably the biggest um, attendees that we have, which means that um, they're actually now reporting on what's happening in the town council meetings, unlike before when they would you know just attend here and there and Sometimes we didn't have much on the agenda and then other times they weren't there when we had huge things on the agenda like rate changes or bond ordinances or anything like that. So um, I think that that is definitely one positive that we that we personally had from COVID and that we will continue to do. We also um, moved to a larger venue for our public meetings and I don't foresee us changing back anytime um, because we did have to do some upgrades to our scout building, which is our like a community center. So um, that was another positive thing that we actually made upgrades to the scout building that um, could not have been made had it not been for COVID. Um, there's more that I would like to do, like getting an actual AV system in there because I, I am tasked with setting up microphones and, and cameras and everything every other Wednesday. But um, other than that, uh, it's, it's been working out great for us. In North Manchester, we are a little more like Brazil. Our day-to-day -day operations didn't change. Um, everyone came to work. We have a pretty small staff for the size of the town that we are. And our water guys continued to work, wastewater police, everybody. Um, the one thing that we did in town hall was put up some more physical barriers. We changed locks, put windows where there weren't windows. We actually added a door at town hall to kind of keep that public a little more at bay where they used to just walk freely into the building. Um, we did close down for a little while the utility side because our population likes to come in and, and talk and see how things are going throughout the month. And so we shut that door and made them learn that there is a window in the wall that they can slide that payment through. Um, some of them have continued to do it. Some of them were really excited to have the door open and be able to talk to us again. Um, Beyond that, like Madeline said, with the technology and learning that we can put that meeting out there for the public to see, um, that was a lesson that we had to learn and we'll continue to do that. Um, I will say, sorry, Matt. Go ahead. Um, I will say one thing that I did forget about that we saw, um, actually a change that we saw with COVID is the number of credit card payments that we process now. Um, because we were closed down for so long, uh, we were closed down for about two and a half months at the beginning. And then after Whitley County went into red and stayed in red for what seemed like forever, we shut down again. And more and more people were paying via credit card. Um, 
which because I don't know why they didn't want to drop it in the Dropbox, but um, that was one thing that we did see. And it continues, even though we are still open, people are still paying online and paying by credit card, which um, is annoying when you go to reconcile, but at the same time, it's like, well, at least they're paying their bill, so. Switch gears here a little bit. I think everybody knows that uh, money is on the way from our friends in Washington, D.C. through the American Recovery Act, Recovery Plan. Um, the first wave of funding has hit some of the larger cities in the state here in the last week or so. Just late, well, not too late last night, but last night, Treasury just issued guidance for the non-entitlement units, the NEUs as they're called, which is all of you, uh, generally communities under 50,000 population. And we'll be setting, you know, the distribution amounts and then the state will send that money out. But I guess my real question is, I know you all have been participating in webinars and trying to get up to speed on as much of this as you possibly can, but what early planning have you all done in your communities for the ARP money and, and how you think that might be used? What are some of your just early observations about that process locally? We um, have I'll, a meeting on. Go ahead, Carrie. Sorry. Last night in, in North Manchester, we had a meeting, and the council is eager to create a plan, even though I would like to sit back and wait and see what more guidance we get. But that bucket where you can use the money for water and wastewater, obviously, that's going to be the biggest thing for us. Um, we've tried not to bond a lot of projects and now since interest rates are low and we've got this money coming we're looking at how can we leverage this money to do the most that we can we want to take advantage of it and use this circumstance use this opportunity to try to get the plant upgraded to get the plant working so where it might function without being replaced for the next 20 30 years but just really utilizing this money to leverage create more opportunities um so we've i mean i first started looking at lost revenue and honestly we didn't really lose anything last year with the exception of from the parks department for i mean obvious reasons we didn't have any rentals or leagues or anything going on um but then after looking at lost revenues uh seeing that we really couldn't use it to compensate for that um, I looked at what our capital investment plan said or had in it for um, possible projects that we would be doing over the next five years and kind of seeing how that those projects could fit in with this um, ARP money going forward. Um, and I just, the council is, the council and department heads, all of them are eager to spend it as soon as we get it. And just telling them to relax and chill for a minute and get the stuff done that we've already been planning for for the past, you know, five, 10 years, instead of creating new projects um, is really important and something I'm trying to drive home to them. And they are starting to listen. They start to, they're starting to understand that, okay, well, we've already planned for these. So again, let's use this money to, um, you know, get the most bang for our buck. So I'm starting to think uh, the city of Brazil is kind of a uh, small mirror image of Kerry Mugford's uh, town of uh, North Manchester because um, 
that is kind of I'm in the same boat she is. It sounds like, um, yeah, our and my mayor it, uh, here at the city of Brazil is kind of spearheading this whole thing. I'm sitting back and I'm reading all the comments and I'm doing the training and watching everything, um, all the direction coming from state board of accounts and down from the state on how to spend the money. But when it actually comes time here at the city, it'll be him and um, the council, obviously, that will make the final decision, of course. But um, I guess we'll be the the clerk treasurers will be the ones to say no, no, or yes, as a as um, good stewards of the taxpayers' money. But um, I would have to say that here we are um, kind of mirroring what uh, North Manchester, because I believe that the utilities um, is really we we own a water and a wastewater utility, so our two utilities are um, going to be the ones that get the bulk of this money if um, if we're able to. So. Thought I would say that. Jane, what's happening in uh, North Manchester with the ARP money? Any early discussions there? Or sorry, in uh, Burns Harbor. In Burns Harbor, of course, um, it's like winning the lottery, right? So you, we're we're expecting this windfall, um, but I I think I've I, I have conveyed to the council that just like the CARES money. Um, we saw some changes in uses as things went along, as people understood more about what we could and couldn't use the money for. So I have um, expressed to them that we kind of take it a little slow. We have plenty of time um, to make up uh, a plan and, and use the money wisely. We do have um, a, a wastewater utility that there are some areas in which it could extend We've been growing quite a bit, and there are areas when that was first installed uh, a little over 20 years ago that it didn't reach. So those are some things that have been kicked around a little bit, but mostly we're just kind of um, making sure we understand the full uses of the money so that we make sure we comply with any of the rules that are, are assigned to that the use of that money, because of course, none of us want to get ourselves into a situation where we have to pay any of the money back. So right now we're looking at utility extension. Um, of course, um, like um, Madeline said, revenue loss. There are some areas where web revenue was lost, um, fuel tax, things like that. But at the end of the day, the amount of money we're anticipating receiving will not be the amount that we feel that we lost. So um, we'll see what, what they ultimately decide once, once we get everything um, written out and look at our pretty charts and see where we need to do, what we need to do with it. So as usual, the, uh, the clerk treasurers are the voice of reason with any big uh, amount of money coming, coming to a community and making sure it's spent appropriately. Switching gears here just a little bit, um, you all are very involved and have been very involved for a long time with an organization called ILMCT here in Indiana, Indiana League of Municipal Clerks and Treasurers. Um, let's put in a little plug for the organization, uh, what's coming up, uh, what's on the education horizon with ILMCT. Uh, maybe a couple of you just talk a few minutes about uh, ILMCT and the good work that that organization does. So our conference this year is going to be in November. Our big conference is going to be in November. Thank you, COVID. Um, that has changed some of our education 
because we're utilizing the virtual setting more often and we have had great success with that much better than any other group and our our people want to be educated and so this gives them the opportunity to come and be part of that and not leave the office um, um, we've got APT, um, that's the Association of Public Treasurers of U.S. and Canada, that will be hosted in um, South Bend this year, starting July uh, 19th, I believe, 19th or 20th, lasting that week. Um, so the, that's something that's pretty exciting for us. Um, we do have a board member that, or an APT board member that is also um, our education chair, Vicki Kitchen. So um, she's bringing it, bringing the um, conference back here and showing off our great state. Um, and then we've got district meetings happening at the end of August and those will be virtual. Um, AIM of course will be in October. And then like Carrie said, November is our annual conference. But um, I do kind of, I mean, we, I do wanna talk about education and the importance of it. Um, and we kind of look, after the 2019 elections, we looked at the huge amount of new clerk treasures that were coming into office. So um, that really got us as the executive committee um, of ILMCT wanting to get into those newly elected officials trainings, introducing ourselves, introducing our organization, um, and letting other clerk treasurers know that they do have a support system in place. Because it's when you first take office, it's... Um, it's overwhelming to say the least. Uh, a lot of times you have no idea what you're doing or what you are about to step into. So um, that's something that we really wanted to convey to new clerk treasurers and uh, did so last year when we were in person at our Muncie Institute. We had a huge number of people show up, um, all, you know, a lot of them first time attendees and then COVID hit. So that's the huge number of new people really helped us uh, find direction in what type of education we were going to offer for the next, you know, last year, this year and beyond. Great plug for I think that it's I think that it's good to mention as well that with the ILMCT that we do have a listserv that is available um, if you are a member of the ILMCT, um, a paid member, um, you are able to get on something called a listserv and it's an email system that you are basically attached to and clerk treasurers from all over the state of Indiana can ask questions and then other clerk treasurers will respond to um, the questions that are asked and it's very helpful to a lot of clerk treasurers, especially since we haven't been having um, a lot of in-person meetings. I know that in communities surrounding me, there's a lot of individuals that will watch the listserv and they will watch questions um, come through and then either respond to them or just learn from these questions. I myself have printed off multiple conversations that have happened on the listserv just for my own um, knowledge of um, what other clerk treasures, even with this ARP money that is coming out, um, I follow other clerk treasures just to see what they're going to do with the money. So the listserv to me is um, a very valuable resource that the ILMCT has, um, again, for paid members. So, Thanks. Uh, great discussion on ILMCT. So last question as we wrap up the, the podcast here today. Um, in Indiana, there is a clerk treasurer in every city and town with the exception of 20 or so uh, communities, very large communities that have controllers. Um, I've never done the math, but I would say 
85 or so plus percent of the people occupying the clerk treasurer's office are women. So my question for all of you is, how do we get more women involved in other aspects of local government, other elected offices, um, thoughts or, or ideas about how we can make that a better situation here in Indiana? I think that there's a lot of women in our position just because we're really good with handling money and really good at telling people no to when they ask to spend it. At least I know I am. So, um, but I'm not quite sure how to get um, women more involved in other local offices. Um, and honestly, I don't know why. I mean, I have my, my suspicions of why the clerk treasurer's office is occupied by a lot, by primarily women, but um, don't really have a specific. So answer. Madeline, one of your good friends um, in Whitley County just was elected as a county commissioner. Uh, she's young, she's female, uh, very unusual in the county commissioner realm. Anything that you learn in watching and helping her get elected that you know, we can apply municipal government to balance the, the playing field a little bit more in offices outside of those of the clerk treasurers. Um, well, as, as she was running her campaign, I think being young actually really helped her because she had new fresh ideas. Um, she was thinking outside the box in a lot of aspects of um, when, when she was running and had broad ideas that were not necessarily thought of, of by the old guard. So I'm not sure if it was because she was a woman that she won or if it's because she was young. Um, I, honestly, I think it's because she was younger that it really helped her in her campaigning. Um, but she also has the energy um, to do that, um, to go out and campaign. I mean, we were door knocking the week before COVID hit, um, trying to get people out to vote and getting people registered to vote. And uh, she did a great job campaigning too. She, um, so that, that was one thing. She knows how to throw a party. So maybe that is why, I mean, she is a woman. We do have to throw all the parties, it seems like, so. Anybody else on more uh, women in municipal government here in Indiana thought? From seeing different boards around our town, it seems like, qualified candidates, regardless of gender, are difficult to find right now. Um, we have some boards that definitely have scared good quality candidates away just because of the public ridicule that they take. Um, for some reason, it seems like it's okay to, to degrade the public officials. So regardless of, of male or female, it would be nice to have just good quality candidates who can and think and put together a, a good use of the English language would be nice. Um, but as far as our positions, I don't know why historically they've been female. I know that we're getting a few more males in. I don't know if it's kind of that detail-oriented, multitasking, motherly type role, or if 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 it's more the secretary type role, I don't know. I don't know why it's historically been female, but like I said, overall, I would just like to see more quality candidates run for our boards and our elected positions. I think one issue with being 
a woman in, in politics or just active in boards and organizations is the time commitment. And um, there are, I mean, honestly, there's many, many women out there that don't have a great support system when it comes to, um, you know, their spouses or, you know, they've got little kids at home, they can't take away from them. And so um, I think that's going to be probably an obstacle going, I mean, it has been an obstacle in the past, it's going to be an obstacle going into the future um, that without that support system where they feel like they can actually devote the time and energy to to campaigning and to doing all these, these different things that are required of our job, um, I don't I don't know if you're going to really get that. Um, it seems like, you know, so many of the councils around Indiana and elsewhere are just not dominated by men. And they, they don't really think about, you know, it's like, oh, well, I, I can serve on the town council. Never mind that, you know, Timmy's baseball games are always on Wednesdays when our meetings are, or, you know, Sally has to go to dance on Tuesdays when we have meetings. They don't think about that. Whereas me as a mom, it's like, well, I, I don't know if I can do that job because we have meetings every Wednesday and Monroe has dance on Wednesday nights. So how is she going to get there every night? You know, um, so I think that's the biggest obstacle anyway of any, any woman running um, that they just, they, especially younger women, um, if they have kids, just devoting that time and energy to that instead of, you know, devoting it to their family because we feel guilty. I mean, I, I'm sure that all of us can contest that because we're all moms and we, there are times when we feel guilty, you know, that we have to go to a council meeting on, you know, your kid's birthday or whatever. Maybe that'll be a positive outcome of COVID as we go to more hybrid work environments and things like that, that I will allow, maybe we'll see an uptick in involvement at the local level and, and things that we care about at the municipal government level. Well, thanks you all. Thank you all for joining us. Uh, appreciate the podcast. Uh, I don't think we've done one yet with four different people. So that's uh, been exciting and I appreciate your time. Uh, we'll see you all soon. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. The same Hometown Innovations podcast was sponsored by Ice Miller.